Gatha Regisogs, Duis Duis Gisaseta, Twent Gatha Taylor, Disne Gisaseta Direch Hawks. And welcome to the fifth episode of the Tuscarora Talks podcast. Yeah, it's been a while. A lot yeah. of going on this summer. Holy heck. Yep. I had knee surgery about two months ago. So. Oh, I tore my meniscus too. Yep. Oh, yeah. Good we, times, we both, yeah. We both have bum knees now. Um, Not a whole pair of legs. So we've missed about a good two months of getting episodes in, but thanks for tuning into this episode. Yeah, and on today's episode, we sat down and talked with Vince Schifford. Vince Schifford is a Tuscarora history teacher. Uh, he teaches at the high school, and he also teaches the culture class at our elementary school. This weekend, Vince will be given a presentation on Tuscarora history at Great Law. But first, a word from our sponsors. Think twice before you reach for that straw. In 2014, it was estimated that there are over 270,000 metric tons of plastic polluting the oceans. Did you know plastic straws make up over 7% of the plastic found in the environment? Don't use them. Today we're here with a very special guest, Vince Schiffer. Um, he's been a Tuscarora history teacher for 20 plus years now, I think. About a thousand years. He's been teaching for 20 plus years, thousands of years of knowledge. So we're lucky to have him on the podcast today. Um, the first question I wanted to ask Vince was how he got into teaching um, and what what about our history sort of led your decision to want to teach it? Uh, I got into teaching late. It was like a second career. Uh, I was doing other things in my 20s and and I was taking uh, electronics courses at NCCC because I was working at the power plant at Somerset Station. And I wasn't doing very good in those electronics courses. And so I took a another course, is an American Lit course. And so one day in class, I was just flipping through that American Lit book, and I saw the word Tuscarora flash by. So I was like, what the heck was that? So I went back real slow, and I found it. And it was a, a version, of, a creation story version, Tuscarora version from uh, David Cusick. And I and it gave a little bio of him, said his dad was Nicholas Cusick, and I'd always heard of Nicholas Cusick. My mom told me about him in the Revolutionary War, but I never heard of David. And very interesting guy. He published a book in 1825, Creation Story, Early Iroquois History, Tuscarora History, and I'd never heard of it. And I remember thinking, like, how, how can a Tuscarora person who's been born and raised on the Tuscarora Nation not know about this guy? And yet there could be potentially thousands of students all across North America. Uh, learning about him and that kind of made me mad and that was like my moment or my epiphany that uh, I got to get out of this job and the heck with electronics I'm going to become a teacher yeah. and teach this stuff to our own kids you want more Tuscarora people to know this history right. they're the ones who really should know exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it wasn't for that who knows I might never have got into teaching but I did change my career path or my college path and after that I, I got all good grades because it was something that uh, I enjoyed and I had a a goal in mind, you know, and so it worked out and I got good grades. I, I passed and got hired. And throughout our history of the grapevine story, which sort of explains like our origins, could you give like a quick like summary or maybe start at the, the end of the creation story and where we kind of take off and how we've gotten to our res today, how we sort of traveled and from North Carolina back up to, up to here and it's been it's been there and so back you want a again. couple thousand years of history yeah. in the next two yeah. minutes yeah. yeah summarize a thousand years right. <laughs> just hit the high points oh uh, this uh, pretty yeah just for people maybe the, yeah maybe the things people who don't know 
what they should know. Well, I'm assuming probably most people have a a knowledge of the creation story, so we can just probably skip by that. Yeah. But this this idea of a grapevine story is a Tuscarora story that uh, David Cusick uh, wrote about it in that 1825 book. Um, Elias Johnson wrote about it in his book. He published a book in uh, 1881. Uh, there was a, I guess you would call him an anthropologist back in the 1880s, came out and visited it, and he recorded a story from Adam Williams in 1883. Uh, but it kind of tells about all the Iroquois people being of one family and, and living together. Um, and it said that it came out of a mountain from under the mountain and uh, whatever that means. And went on this great big long journey and eventually each of the six families decide to stop and live uh, in their Aboriginal territory, which is now their Aboriginal territory. So the first family that stopped in the journey was the Mohawks, and then the, the entire group was, keeps moving uh, to where the sun uh, sets, uh, water at Titius. And uh, every so often, another family stops and lives, so the Oneidas were next, and then the Onondagas, Cugas, and Seneca. said the sixth family, us Tuscaroras, uh, kept moving. And they get to this great river they want to cross, and it was David Cusick that translated this river as the Mississippi River, and they found a grapevine. Uh, long shore there and they used that to cross the river and at some point the vine broke and the two sides uh, the groups of people on both sides of the river couldn't get back to each other so we lost track of the people that were on the west side of the river that already crossed uh, but the rest of us uh, turned towards the east and went Natkith where the sun rises and, and kept walking and walking and we stopped and we saw the sign and the sign was called Pine in the Water Godetnut and so at that point that's where uh, our ancestors stopped and lived there, and that's now called North Carolina. And this, obviously the story picks up a little after that, after some contact with some <laughs> unfriendly... Well, um, I think probably the story ends there, but then history doesn't end there. Yeah, and of course, contact and colonization, and eventually uh, uh, what's called the Tuscarora War, defending our freedom, defending our land, defending our people uh, mm -hmm. from the European onslaught in North Carolina, and eventually we lost uh, that war, and then we started migrating, heading up north to join the Confederacy. We had had an uh, invitation to come on up, and uh, the Oneidas made space for us, and we made it up there. And things were good for a while, and then, of course, there's more war, eventually culminating in uh, the Revolutionary War. And then uh, the New Americans, especially New York State, started taking Native land, and they took Mohawk land, and they were working their way west, and they got Oneida land, and so we had to move again. And uh, we ended up on our territory today. So it's a huge, giant journey. In high school class, we kind of measure it. Yeah. And it comes out to around, I don't know, something like close to 3,000 miles, you know. It's a crazy journey over the course of a, who knows how yeah. long, 1,000 years. And it's cool because we have such a, Tuscaroras have such an interesting story. And even that, that grapevine story is just a small part of it. It kind of, it does some things up. It does kind of add a lot of, add a chunk of history together that otherwise would be lost. So it's really cool to actually have you on here and talk about that. Yeah. Well, I'm just glad we had our ancestors, you know, that were willing to sit down and write these things down or talk to people and, you know, and get things recorded. And uh, a big part of, you know, my my life as a teacher or digging around as an amateur historian is finding these repositories of, of our people's words and uh, sound files and what have you that are in the archives and getting them back for the benefit of our community. And, you know, we have a Tuscar history group that meets every Tuesday and you know, we've done a lot of work. There's about 15 to 20 like-minded people that get together and do a just an amazing job of sharing information, finding information, and we talk about it. And uh, we put on two conferences so far, so it's it's, it's a pretty amazing group. 
Are you guys always looking for more people to come in and absolutely just needing people to learn? Just open door policy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So everybody listening to this, we expect you on Tuesday nights, uh, <laughs> circle. Um, Yeah, and uh, it is kind of neat. I love to see how oral histories and a lot of the scientific legwork that other people are doing all kind of mesh together helps flesh out these great oral histories you have. And I think it's a cool way of using both viewpoints, you know, on history. Yeah, it's kind of something like we're trying to do here too with the, even like a podcast. It's simple as simple as as it is to do now. Um, our people have been using oral history and talking for years. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is sort of a new concept to be able to just record it and then whoever listens to this is going to listen to it and it's, you know, just spreading this, continue to spread that knowledge through yeah. having to actually listen and be a part of the conversation. And as you probably know, um, the great law is coming to yes. Tuscarora, August 11th to the 19th. Uh, yeah. So this is the sixth year in a row. So it's been to all six nations. Um, and so we requested having a great law here, I guess. And, from the Great Law Committee has been working to uh, working on the Great Law and gathering and uh, increasing our understanding of it. This committee has been working, I think, for about 10 years, uh, a Haudenosaunee committee. And somebody on the committee had requested once once we requested to host it, and they agreed to come here and, and do the Great Law here, that somebody had requested, uh, how about a history of Tuscarora? You know, not, not a lot of people know a history of Tuscarora, and so they... And so uh, our local Tuscarora committee said, okay, we can do that. And so the history group, uh, we all worked together um, to put together history. Rick Hill's also been on that committee. He's on the Great Law Committee, and he's also donated some time and effort on to put together this Tuscarora history. So it is kind of a, a big moment for us. So it's kind of mm-hmm. cool that we get to host everybody come here. I mean, a lot of people come here for the picnic or... Uh, New Year, the feast, or whatever different events, but you know this is a, a a new event coming here that we haven't had, uh, so it should be pretty cool. I do remember one speaker did come here from Allegheny years ago one day, and uh, talked about uh, the Great Law. But other than that, we've never, as far as I know, we haven't had an official Great Law delegation. So it's really exciting. So what role does Tuscarora play in the story of the Great Law? Well, I think it's. I think we have actually a pretty significant role because in the Great Law it talks about um, them able to add rafters to the longhouse and then bring nations in, and so those aren't just, you know, empty words from some philosophical concept. You know, it. We Tuscaroras prove that 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 part of the Great Law is true and it does work. And then we did come in and they did add a rafter and to extend from five to six nations, and so that's a big part of what we're going to talk about and. And so, yeah, I, th- I think we do have a very important role to play. That's really interesting. And um, I can't wait to hear more uh, about our role of this upcoming great law. Um, I have one last question uh, that stems from us just making cordage here at the office. Um, what is the importance of dogbane? Well, our name, Scott Rudit, it literally means um, hemp splitters. You know, and so you look at, you know, what do they mean by hemp? You know, what what sort of plant you know it's the fiber material that uh, people are using to create cordage and thread to make tump lines and straps and whatever 
Um, but all humans on Earth figured out in their environment what they could use. And uh, that dog bane seems to be the most prolific one, not only here, but uh, I think I was looking at uh, some sort of a field guide for North Carolina. It seemed to, seemed to show that they had some dog bane uh, patches of it growing down there in, in North Carolina. So it made sense that that must have been. Um, I do know that historically uh, different references come up. Um, at Nayuheruke, uh the final battle scene, the major battle in the Tuscarora War, uh, the archaeologists have dug up some examples of a bag made of plant fibers. Uh, that's Eastern Carolina University, but I don't think at the time they had a uh, person on staff or they didn't send it out to identify what type of plant it was. Mm. Um, but that, that would be interesting to find out. Uh, what we know from other archaeological sites up and down the eastern seaboard that, you know, dogbane was used, uh, basswood, all, all sorts of fibers were used. But I know we work with the kids at the elementary school, and I do a couple of high school courses, and we work there also with it. And uh, when you have those stocks, one of the first things you do is you got to, I don't do any soaking. I'm not sure if we soaked in the past, but it takes too long. So for classes, we just get right into it. So we kind of pound it or just squeeze your fingers and to break it. And then it kind of breaks in four equal pieces, and you literally use your finger to split those four pieces. I'm sure you guys have done enough of that. Um, so, I mean, you literally can get the feel for what it means to be a hemp splitter. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun uh, twisting in. You can go online. There's all kinds of people showing how to do it on YouTube. But uh, but it is pretty neat. And do it every year with the kids, and you just never know. It's always amazed me that there'll every year there'll be one or two kids that somehow it really speaks to them. And they, they actually pick it up. They're pretty good at it. And uh, and they, they take it to the next level, you know. And and no matter what, every year when I do it, even a high school class, there's their phones are put away. There's no sound. It's just intense concentration, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. for that 42 minutes. And I don't tell them they can't talk. But, they, <laughs> you know, it's just it's something about working with your hands and that sort of repetitive, mm, paying yeah. attention, doing it right, getting those fibers out. It, there's something I think in that way of life that we're missing in our modern society. You know, we don't yeah. do a lot of that anymore. Like maybe the bead workers are the last people to, you know, or people that braid corn or, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, there's something there that our people are missing. And I, I see that every single year, uh, the kids are totally into it, but there'll be at least one or two that really get it and know how to make cordage quick. And I just wish we could push them further because they'll take it to the next level. Yeah. I know with our uh, with our interns, we just give them uh, dog bane and just say go at it, keep, <laughs> keep them quiet for a little while. <laughs> we, we can't figure, we can't find yeah, hey, you got a job do. for them. Get in there, make <laughs> cordage. <laughs> to anyone looking forward to hearing Vince um, at the Great Law, um, come out and check that out. Uh, I want to give a big meow to Vince for coming on our podcast. Um, really super lucky to actually catch him. We sort of um, ambushed him and got him into an interview today, so <laughs> it was good. It was good. Super good for our interview. Ambush our, me uh, at the corn soup sale. <laughs> the Tomahawks corn soup sale. Whatever the next Tomahawks fundraiser is, if you're listening to this, check that out too. Um, now to Vince. Thanks for coming on. Okay. Hey, Taylor. Look, what do you got? I have to tell you something. Do it. Did you know that ash residue from backyard burning can contain some highly toxic pollutants? Because packaging and plastics today use very toxic chemicals. Oh no! The ash can contain mercury, lead, chromium, and arsenic, which can contaminate vegetables, the soil, soil your children play in, and the groundwater the ash runoff can seep into. That's terrible! Right?
Alright guys, and before we close out our podcast, I just want a quick reminder that we're now on iTunes. You can listen to us on SoundCloud as well. Uh, we have a blog page you can follow, which is tuskytalks.wordpress.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, and you'll get all the updates when we update episodes and stuff. Yeah, so uh, when, if you get the chance this week, come down, check out Great Law, get some knowledge in you, and uh, now at events for yeah. agreeing to come on our show and share his uh, knowledge of history with us. Yeah, big now at events, and that's it from us, guys. Ethgeke. Ethgeke. Our DNA is of earth and sky.